Welcome to Isolation Radio, a series created by students on the radio production course at Morley College, where we make use of our home and outside spaces to explore our own and others' experiences of the lockdown. This episode is written by Mark Lutchek. He has produced two pieces, one on shopping in the lockdown and one on how to support your mental health. He has also recorded the quotes we've been using throughout the series, and today we include a quote regarding the Spanish flu from a woman who wrote a letter in the 70s regarding her own experience. First, let's hear about how shopping makes Mark feel during the lockdown. Last week, I became a child again. I'd just gone into Morrison's on my way back from work. I'm a shift worker, so it was about four before I managed to get in. I'd heard about panic buying, but I'd managed to do my normal shop only a few days before with no trouble. It was the silence I noticed first. Normally there's a small market in the courtyard outside, but today most of the stalls were already taken down, their owners quiet and sullen, and the place was semi-deserted. Inside, shoppers milled around through aisles of empty shelves. I'd expected to find bread and eggs and all the usual stuff. There were shelves of alcohol and magazines, but no fresh fruit or pasta or rice. I became one of the shoppers, walking silently through deserted aisles. And for the first time since I was a child, I picked up two muffins. Not because I needed or wanted them, but because it felt foolish to have come all this way and not buy anything. My adult confidence that I'd be able to just get whatever I wanted had vanished. Even on the rare occasions when one item had sold out, it was nothing more than a minor disappointment. Now my mind was filled with calculation what I needed to get, how much food did I have at home, the things I'd like to buy. The last thing I wanted to do was to start panic buying, but already the temptation had begun to fester. Finally, in the frozen food section, I managed to track down a couple of bags of vegetables and some needles to go with a bottle of plum sauce I'd bought some weeks before. Going to the checkout, I noticed that things were quieter than usual. People were also more willing to cut each other up on the way to the tills. There were hushed conversations with staff. Apparently bread and milk and tinned goods had sold out before 7.30, less than half an hour after the shop had opened. I thought about going back to the frozen food section for some more. I'd only picked up a few things, and nobody could have accused me of panic buying, but I just wanted to get out of there. Part of me had become too scared of contracting the virus. Panic buying is the opposite of social isolation. I'd seen some reports on the news, all those people crammed together as they jostled for whatever goods were left, and those long cramped queues at the tills. Perfect condition for the virus to spread. I was far more conscious of what I was touching too, glad of my contactless card so I didn't have to punch in my code. Who can guess at the number of people who had already touched that pad, or the last time that it had been cleaned? Normally, things like that wouldn't have bothered me. The next day, I'd hoped to get up early, just to do a little more shopping. Part of me didn't like the idea. It wasn't just being close to all those people, but because I didn't want to fall into the trap of panic buying. So I only planned to get a few things. But then would it really be worth the trouble of getting up so early? In the event, I didn't have to worry. I'd had a rough night of it at work the night before, and so I slept in late. Part of me was glad. 
It was about 11 o'clock before I left my flat for the corner shop. After my experiences of the day before, I expected to find bare shelves. After all, the shop was a lot smaller. So it's much to my surprise that I walked in to find a veritable Aladdin's cave of bread and milk and rice and eggs and all the things that had been sold out at the supermarket. I was alone too. No jostling crowds, no worrying crush. The shopkeeper greeted me with an almost studied nonchalance. Business as usual. Again, I was taken back to my childhood. Feeling that excitement of walking to a corner shop, I remembered the small shop near my aunt's, the thrill of going in, the great expectations of a six-year-old allowed to walk through the aisles, and I was tempted to buy sweets or search for the small plastic toys which had so thrilled me all those years ago. I bought a couple of tins, nothing much, some chopped tomatoes for the curry I was planning on. I even resisted the cans of beer and the wines but the thrill stayed with me all the way back to the flat. Next up, some ideas on how to maintain our mental health during the lockdown. As I write, the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases has reached over half a million worldwide and resulted in almost 25,000 deaths. Millions more are living with imposed lockdowns in a desperate effort to halt the spread of the virus. In addition to the deaths, there is going to be a severe economic cost. In the UK, the Bank of England has warned of the possibility of widespread job losses, with many businesses forced to close. Yet there are other costs, almost unseen and harder to define. As a mental health worker, one of my first reactions to the spread of the coronavirus was to think about how this might impact on the lives and mental health of the people I work with. According to researchers, the outbreak has seen a rise in stress, fear, frustration, anger and above all anxiety, problems which we're all likely to face the longer we spend in lockdown. There are a number of ways in which we can react, but there is a tendency for our brains to remain on high alert, particularly should we fall prey to anxiety. Often this affects our ability to sleep, causing listlessness, boredom, fatigue and irritability. It has become increasingly important to find ways to combat stress and anxiety, particularly in the long term. More than ever, it has become important to stay in touch with one another and to have regular contact with loved ones over Skype, the phone or even by email. In a sense, we're far luckier than previous generations as we have far more ways of staying in contact. We can use websites and Facebook Keeping a strong communal bond has shown to be one of the key ways that we can deal with stress and anxiety. More than ever, it is important to keep informed, but also to learn and use rational ways of helping to protect yourself. Currently, there's a lot of scaremongering and people can get caught up in a wave of anxiety, so it's important to keep to news feeds that you can trust. Learning how to hand wash effectively is also really important, not just for your physical but also mental health. Not only is it important to feel that you are doing something positive and not entirely at the mercy of fate, but also keeping to rituals and daily habits can be a way of reducing anxiety and bringing a sense of normality, making you feel that you are in control of at least part of your life. You can also take pride in daily accomplishments, no matter how small, Simple things like making your bed each morning. It's also important to keep active. 
There are many YouTube videos or ebooks dedicated to keeping up an exercise routine, even indoors. Though you should always only do what you're capable of and make sure your routines are safe. Deep breathing is also a good way to help calm yourself. Should you start to feel panic, the advice is to slow down and take five slow, deep breaths. Getting more oxygen into your brain is calming to the whole nervous system and gives you room to regroup your thoughts and feelings. Obviously, you should not do this when you're in close proximity to others or increase the danger of breathing in the virus. I think it's important to realise that there is so much that lies beyond your control. This can often take the form of unhelpful behaviours, such as continually and obsessively following news reports. Checking for news about vaccine or some treatment has become almost a daily ritual for me until I decided to limit my searches to one a week. If you find that you're starting to obsess about the news, then it's important to stop for a while and limit yourself. Remember, you might not always realise that this is causing you to become stressed or anxious. Keeping up with hobbies and pastimes is also a great way to relax and reduce stress, so long as they don't involve going out, of course. This has been shown to be particularly important in other stressful situations. One of the most brutal episodes of World War II was the Siege of Leningrad, which lasted 16 months and led to the deaths of countless civilians. Many who survived noted that those who kept up with pastimes and hobbies such as reading or chess stood a far better chance of survival against the deprivations of the winter and food shortages than those who gave up. Shostakovich wrote his Seventh Symphony during the siege and it received its world premiere to the complement of German artillery in the background. Of course, listening to music and reading can help. Another technique is to find reasons to be grateful. It has been found that feeling grateful for things can increase dopamine levels in the brain, leading to feelings of calmness and even joy. So if you struggle at first, it's important not to give up, as it has also been found that the more you're grateful for, the more reasons you will find to be grateful. I have started to try to at least find three things each morning. I find that writing these things down helps. Most of the time, I try my best to be grateful for positive things, friends, family or accomplishments. But there are times when I'm grateful for even the negative things. Thinking back to the siege of Leningrad, I'm grateful that no matter how bad things get, they're unlikely to be as bad as Leningrad or Warsaw or many other places during the war. There's a lot of research to suggest that getting in touch with nature can also have a calming effect. Even if you can't go out, looking at trees or greenery can help. This is a good time to keep tending plants. Or, if you can't do that, even looking at pictures of nature. Finally, if you're with family or a partner, it's important to keep doing things together unless you have to isolate. I hope that these strategies help. It's important to find out what works for you. And if you have any further ways of coping, then please find a way to pass these on. A quote from a woman taken from a letter written to a Mr Collier in the 1970s. One nine-year-old girl from Coventry whose 35-year-old mother and seven-year-old sister died two days apart wrote... It caused quite a sensation to have a double funeral on November the 11th, 1918, which was the very day the First World War ended. I can remember very well when the cortege was on its way to the church, 
Bells, hooters and all sounds of celebration were raving, but how silent people stood who realised it was our funeral. It really was a terrible time, not knowing who we were going to lose next. Isolation Radio on Morley Radio.